Welcome to the Advisor Arena Podcast with your hosts, Jamie Malm and Josh Watson. This show is designed to share ideas and help you gain insight from some of your most successful peers. We will discuss industry news, hot topics, and challenges you may face, as well as give you some possible solutions. Thanks for joining us today. Let's get started. Welcome, everybody. It's another episode of the Advisor Arena Podcast. I'm your host, Jamie Malm, and I have with me today David Johnson, who oversees our case central team. So David, you'll have to share with us your actual credentials. I know we promote the team as a team of CFAs and CFPs and you guys are invaluable, but tell me a little bit about your actual credentials, if you will. Sure. Uh, Hi everyone. Um, I have been in the financial world since about the year 2000 um, in a couple of different areas, but I've been here at Gradient now for going on 10 years. And I've, I'm part of the, the case design team. I lead the case design team here um, at Case Central. But I am a certified financial planner. I obtained that designation back in 2012. And I've, I've held a bunch of other licenses as well over the years and still hang on to a couple other ones. But uh, that's that's the big picture. Yeah, well, we love having you as a resource for ourselves, for our agents. Our uh, The clients of our advisors are obviously mm-hmm. the Um, real benefactors of that advice. So we appreciate you joining. I asked you to come on because we are hearing all kinds of info about potential changes with the Build Back Better and the Secure 2.0. And I think anyway, uh, that most of the attention has been around the Build Back Better plan. That's what everybody's been focusing on, probably Mm -hmm. us included. And as that has stalled out, maybe we've lost sight a little bit of some of the changes that are actually in that secure Act 2.0, and we don't ever want our advisors to be caught off guard or not know about right. some of those potential changes. So I want to pick your brain here for a little bit on what our advisors should know about. And if we do have any consumers listening, um, obviously our our podcast is designed to support advisors. But if you're listening to this, reach out to your advisor, have conversations with them about this. So I guess first portion of this is the goal, it seems like, of Secure 2.0 is to, in part, address the savings crisis mm-hmm. that we can all probably agree we have. Pensions are going away. People aren't saving enough money. Social Security isn't going to be enough to provide income. So there's a few things in that proposal that would help maybe people save a bit more. Tell me about some of the changes that are being proposed there. Yeah, well, there are a number of different financial bills right now working their way through um, different committees, and and uh, there there is bipartisan support um, with this. And um, big picture, there's a number of different topics that they're addressing. But uh, yeah, we're, we're it's really hitting hard on employer plans and uh, doing different things to ramp up funding into these plans and just to just to create more awareness and to give people better opportunities to save for retirement. Yep. So if we have somebody, for example, that's contributing to a 401k or they're contributing to an IRA, a simple IRA, what are some of the proposed changes to help them maybe save more and combat some of the inflation that we're suddenly all talking about that hasn't been a topic for years? Yeah, yeah. And, and we get a lot of questions about um, employer plans. And if you look at how, how the setting is right now here in 2022, um, an individual can contribute a, a 20500 
to an employer plan. And uh, with the catch-up provision for those age 50 and up, they can give an extra 6,500. So for a total of 27,000. Okay. Now what is being floated out there is the ability to increase that catch-up contribution to 10,000. Okay. Um, Along with that, um, that they're talking about um, going forward, that number being adjusted and linked to inflation. Inflation seems to be the, the buzzword these days and rightfully so. But when I, when I speak about that catch-up provision bumping from 6,500 to 10,000, um, different bills that are out there have very specific differences. One bill, for example, the Secure Act 2.0 is specific to ages 62, 63, and 64. Other bills on the table indicate for everybody age 60 and on up. Okay. And so that's for 403Bs, 401Ks, but then you also have simple IRAs and simple 401Ks and, and uh, their contribution bump up, their catch up um, contribution bump up would go from 3000 to 5000 in those plans. They, they just have smaller um, limitations there. So obviously the idea behind that is to help people save more by increasing those contribution limits. One of the really unique things that I saw floating around in there is something about an employer matching for student loan repayment. (laughs) And I know we have a lot of advisors that focus on, you know, college planning and helping families figure out how to best fund that. And there is a arguably a student loan crisis here in the country right now. And it's a pretty, divided topic on how you think it should be solved. So this is an interesting part of the the bill. Right. A lot of younger individuals just say, you know what, I'm not going to put a thing into my 401k. I'm focusing on the student loans. And so when I first saw this, I was it, it did surprise me a bit because I haven't seen this before. But the, the bill proposes these um, student loan payments that people are making can be viewed as an elective deferral, allowing an employer to see that elective deferral, that student loan payment, and provide a match based on that. So it gives our younger crowd perhaps the ability then to um, take care of two things at one time, knock down their student loans, all the while receiving a match and building up their 401k or their, their 403b. So let me let me clarify. The match is the match on whatever they're paying down to student loans go, goes into their 401k it's, or it's a match to help pay down well, student loan sure. debt. In, in the same way, it goes into their 401k. So in the same way right now, hey, if you put 10% into your 401k, your employer provides a match right. potentially. And so um, employers would look at that student loan payment and then match Gotcha. Accordingly, based on their own plan documents into um, the, the 401k. I can see that being a hot topic of conversation because I do think that's where some of the savings crisis starts. Mm-hmm. We have all these younger people that have massive student loan debt, and we know how important it is to save early, get that compounding interest, build those good habits. And you have people that are spending years and years, decades, even in some mm-hmm. cases where they're just trying to pay off that student loan debt. So they don't have that extra income to go toward the 401k. So I think it's really interesting that that's in there. And you said something earlier that I think it's important to point out because the Build Back Better was um, 
it, it was pretty divided and it stalled mm -hmm. out for a reason. But this and some of these bills and the Secure Act 2.0, it does have bipartisan support. So it may have a higher likelihood that it's actually going to be enacted or some parts of this are going to be enacted. You right. That's right. fair. A absolutely. And I mentioned that there's a number of different bills out there. And so we don't know how this is going to play out, but it, it, you know, it could take some of the best things from multiple bills and bring them together when it's all said and done. Sure. Okay. So let's talk a little bit about the qualified plans. You mentioned the employer plans, but there's also some ideas floating around here on the table about RMDs and specifically that's been a topic of confusion um, lately because we had a year in which they weren't required at all, mm -hmm. followed by a year where the age changed. You already have people that are like, wait, I can't remember. Was it the year in which I turned 70 and a half or was it April 1 following the year I turned 70 and a half? And then is it one or is it two if I delayed it? So there's already some confusion. If you mess it up, it's a 50 percent penalty on what you should have taken. So you do not want to mess it up. So what are some of the proposed changes where RMDs may be affected? Right. And first off, I, I love the recent change that that bumped the the first age from 70 and a half to 72. Um, I, I think that was a bad choice to begin with, having it be 70 and a half, because that led to a lot of confusion when they really peeled back the layers and looked at at how to figure out that first required distribution. Anyway, so in light of people working longer, living longer, they are talking about bumping up um, higher that that first required distribution age from 72 all the way to 75. And there's some back and forth on this. The, the Secure Act 2.0 talks about doing it incrementally. So, it, for example, here in 22, it might bump it to 73 um, and then up to 75 by 2032. Why those years specific, I'm not sure. Um, but um, a, a different proposal out there speaks of making that bump up immediate. So this year, next year, bumping it straight to 75. So speaking of RMDs, and I, you know, we'll just have to see how that plays out. But um, with people living longer and having longer life expectancy, we saw the RMD tables Mm -hmm. change for the first time since what 2000 this year it's been, it's been a while but yeah so all new rmd tables here to account for longer life expectancies and so it makes sense then that they might look at which the age in which you have to take it to and mm -hmm. start increasing that um i just did a you know i was with a group last night giving a presentation we were talking about rmds and the penalty and in the scenario that i shared if you take that 50 percent hit because mm -hmm. you mess it up and then you're in a 33% tax bracket and you end up losing like 80% of the value to the IRS. So Incredible, the yeah. changes on the penalties are also something that's being considered, right? Yep. Yep. So big picture, you're, you're right. That 50% penalty is a bit extreme. Now, to be honest, there are ways to get that waived and the, the, the IRS surprisingly has been lenient at times. If you do things right, you, you take the you take the distribution. You fill out the or you update the tax return a certain way. You include a letter, and so that there are different ways to get that that uh, penalty waived. However, um, that isn't a it isn't a guarantee. So sure. yes, they are talking about dropping that penalty from fifty percent to twenty five percent, and possibly even as low as ten percent. 
which is, well, of course, sizably less, potential double-edged sword going on because if they do indeed drop it to as low as 10%, for example, I've heard that they'd be less likely to forgive it if somebody mm-hmm. is, if somebody does miss that, uh, that required time frame. Sure. Okay. Well, that makes sense, I guess. It'll remain to be seen on how they actually do that. Um, one of the questions we get, of course, on the annuity side is, well, I've got all these qualified accounts. Why can't I just annuitize this? Or I'm already getting this, I'm already taking this lifetime amount. Why can't that count for my RMD? Right now it doesn't. They don't allow that, correct? Mm -hmm. Right, right. So, and we get a lot of questions about annuitization in Case Central and and that that's true. So when you annuitize a bucket, whether you go out there and you you buy um, an immediate annuity or annuitize an already set in stone account, okay, it does become an island unto itself. And and besides that first year where the annuitization takes place, okay, all future um, income from that annuitization um, cannot be used to cover other accounts. Okay. Yeah. I think that would be, if they do change that, like they're talking about, mm-hmm. uh, that could certainly be beneficial because we yeah. have lots of people that would have an opportunity to say, well, my RMD is already being satisfied through this mm-hmm. annuitization stream that I'm getting or this lifetime income stream that I'm getting. Um, whereas right now they can't. That's so right. mm-hmm. we'll see what happens. Absolutely. A couple of other things. QLAC mm-hmm. is maybe getting some changes. And for our listeners that don't know what a QLAC is, it's the qualified longevity annuity contract, which I don't know how many years ago now, maybe three years ago, we had the, an influx of interest with people that wanted to, you know, talk about QLEX in their seminars and put this in their marketing. And mm-hmm. they thought, well, I'm just going to have a flood of interest in consumers that want to take advantage of this. And we really didn't. Rarely have I seen somebody actually move forward with a QLAC policy. Give, um, give, give the listeners kind of a reminder on what a QLAC even is, why this is something that's on the table. Sure, sure. So people would purchase a QLAC. I mean, if they wanted to guarantee longer term income, I mean, you can you can delay income on this until in some cases as late as age 85. And so but it would be, as you would assume, a higher income amount that income can be used for whatever your need may happen to be, perhaps a long-term care need. Also, when you put money into a QLAC, it reduces your your RMDs, your your required distributions as well. And people use it for other purposes, might be to protect a spouse, for example, because it it could be done to cover more than just your own own life. Um, So that's why somebody might purchase that. But what they are doing now, or what they are proposing to do, is just expand the amount that can go into it. Not dramatically per se, but they are looking to to bump it up. I think right now um, it's capped at 135,000 or 25% of their qualified money. Mm -hmm. Okay, whichever is is lower, but they're talking about removing that 25% um, maximum and perhaps bumping that the allowable amount up to 200K or somewhere in that range. I think the limit was came as kind of a surprise to a lot of people because initially when they listened to it, they thought, oh, this is great. I can put some money here in this QLAC. I don't have to take my RMDs. Mm-hmm. I can defer taking income, avoid the RMDs that I'd have to take out, let all that money grow. And then they start to do all these plans and go, oh, wait, I can only put this <laughs> amount of money into it. So it's not a huge increase, but it might generate some more interest. And again, right. kind of goes to solve some of those self-funding issues that Mm -hmm. we see people having with the 
um, you know, pensions and so forth going away. Um, what about the qualified charitable distributions that we see? We get a lot of questions on that and it's a fairly simple concept, but maybe a little harder to execute or know exactly how that all kind of comes together. What kind of questions do you get on charitable? Right. And, and yes, you get a lot of questions about QCDs. And so this is a way for your charitably inclined prospects or clients to um, take money directly from their IRA and specifically IRAs, not other qualified yep. accounts and move those directly into that charity. It, it can cover your RMD for that year, um, but um, it's capped at 100000 per person. So a husband and wife could do a couple hundred thousand. But um, the big thing here with QCDs is it it never hits your tax return. So people that are dependent upon keeping their adjusted gross income, their AGI low for maybe for Medicare Part B premiums purposes. So um, it would never hit that. And so just being able to give but not have it impact other parts of your life is makes that um, a hot button. Yeah. And, and so what are the changes that they're thinking? Just the increase is that. Oh, is forgive that me. Yes. And the, the big, the big change that they're, that they're talking about there is bumping up and indexing that hundred thousand with inflation. Okay. So inflation seems to be showing up in multiple um, proposals within this bill, because of course that's what people are concerned about. If inflation is not transitory. If it is here to stay a bit, if we are going to be in a period where we're seeing inflation numbers get more even normalized, because we've been in really low inflationary period, then we don't want to have a set number only to come back next year and say, ah, that's not quite right again. So mm-hmm. putting some bills in place now that account for inflation right. kind of takes care of that here for years to come. All right. Makes sense. Mm-hmm. So we've got to talk Roth conversions. <laughs> sure. Roth conversions, obviously a a hot topic. Um, It's proposed, of course, with the Build Back Better, that it's only going to be your uber rich that are going to be impacted by this. So we went from 400,000 to now what? The addition of, oh, but you have $10 million in accounts. And so everybody's kind of stopped listening. Mm -hmm. But Roth conversions are potentially on the chopping block here a little bit. Tell me where we may be looking at some elimination of Roth conversions for people. Sure. So um, like you said, the the Build Back Better plan got got stopped in its tracks there, but at the same time, some of those features still might make its way out. Now, a couple of the big ones that were in that proposal, well, number one was the, the elimination of the backdoor Roth and the mega backdoor Roth, the, the mega backdoor Roth being making after tax, after tax contributions into an employer plan and then taking those dollars and converting them to a Roth IRA. And uh, um, uh, the, the normal backdoor Roth would is as simple as, hey, my income is too high to take a deduction on a, on a traditional IRA. It's too high to add to a Roth IRA. I'll just to an IRA, an IRA receive the, uh, and not receive a, a tax deduction and then just convert that into a Roth IRA. So um, that was the, the big one here in the short run that they're talking about taking away. Um, so uh, stay tuned for more information on that. And then the other one is, is down the road here in 2032, if your income's over a certain level, um, they're, they're talking about taking away the ability to, to convert to Roth dollars. 
at all or only for the high net worth people? But for the higher income, that, that's what's most recently on the table is, is higher income individuals. But of course, anything can change with that. Yeah, anything can change. And I think the fact that it's part of the conversation and they have a future date, one, it goes to show they almost uh, they almost want some of those Roth conversions to come in, right? That's revenue for them. Revenue. Mm-hmm. They're getting the money. And so if they can say, well, we'll give it a 10 year period, maybe we get a run on people that say, oh, well, I want to take advantage of that while it's there. Government gets an influx of money. So I, I think it's probably you know, fair to say they don't want to eliminate it entirely, but they're doing something here um, you know, to try to generate a run on that. But anything can change at any, th- any time. I mean, the loss of lifetime um, inherited IRA options shows that we can we can lose things that we've all become accustomed to pretty quickly. So I think that is a big one for advisors to be aware of. Certainly, if I'm a consumer out there and I hear some you know info about that, I'm concerned, I'm confused, and I want somebody to be well versed in what that really might mean for me. So exactly good in, good info there. Okay, so would you say most of this, with the exception of that you know potential loss of the rock, most of it sounds like it's fairly positive changes, which is probably why it has the bipartisan support, right? These are all fairly positive moves for the end consumer. Yeah. I mean, I guess besides the Roth conversion one here, but uh, yeah, so it, it, it has the ear of both sides of the aisle and uh, I'm looking forward to just seeing what they come up with. And I really expect there being a lot more conversation on this here as we go into the next few months, perhaps Q2 here, we'll see a bunch more on this out there in the news. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask, what you think the time frame is like. I know Ed Slot is putting out articles on this. He's starting to educate. There's lots of resources out there, but your team obviously is an excellent one. So I would suggest that anybody that's listening, make sure you're taking advantage of David and his team. You don't have to have all the answers as you're meeting with um, a consumer. You can say, hey, that's not my uh, my area of expertise or I don't know, but I have a team of people. That is all they do. That is their a- area of expertise. Let's let them weigh in on this. So I guess to wrap up, what I would suggest, be proactive. You know, you don't need to be out there uh, spreading fear, uh, making everybody worry that all these changes are going to, it's like we said, mostly positive changes, but educate yourself, use the resources available to you. Gradient has some excellent targeted marketing campaigns that are already set up. So however you want to be proactive in reaching out to prospects or your current clients on this, we've got the content and the setup already ready for you to do so. Um, but I would I would say start with a call to us. Start with a call to your team. Ask questions. Make sure you know what kind of resources you have available to you. Um, as a reminder, you can go out to our website, which is theadvisorarena.com. Our email is simply theadvisorarena at gradientib.com. So shoot us a message if you want some additional info on this. Happy to connect you with David and his team. And David, thank you for joining. It's, it's excellent to have an expert in-house that we can rely on for things like this. Yeah. So we appreciate your time very much. Thank you. Glad to be here. All right. Thank you.